The second, uh, a second home that we lived in over in Everson, I've got, I've got, there's two of them out, thank you, uh, was about as far away from the fire station as, uh, as I'm standing from that house across the street. And when we were first there, I was not in the fire department. And uh, so we, we lived in this apartment, and back in that day, they would put the siren off on the fire station whenever there was a fire call. They, they had these big radio, these big things that would sit in your house, but they also put the siren off, and it would go up and down seven times. That was a standard fire call. And uh, being young and a sound sleeper, uh, that thing would go off in the middle of the night, and I just saw the logs. Boy, it didn't bother me one bit. But when I became a firefighter, I learned to be tuned in for that sound. And we moved to the other end of town, and I could hear that siren when it just started to wind up. I could hear the very bottom of that because I was tuned in. I knew what I was listening for. The sound was the same, but I was paying attention. And I want to talk to you today about a siren that's going off all around us, which is a siren that's signaling the need of the world for salvation. See, I'm convinced that sometimes we don't hear it because we don't recognize what it is. It's easy enough to recognize that some people need the Lord. This is a picture of the killing fields of Cambodia that we heard about from Todd and the Khmer Rouge back in the 70s trying to create a certain kind of revolution and and killing millions of people. We look at that and go, oh, the Cambodians need the Lord. Or or we look at a place like China where uh, they have uh, forced abortions because they want to limit the population growth to one child per couple. And now it's so, it's so desirable to have a son that with modern technology they can do, an ult, they can do a, uh, some kind of a, a test on the fetus and know whether it's male or female. And so there's a new term being used of, the, of China and it's gender side because if it's not a boy, they're more likely to abort it than if it's a girl. And we look at that and say, oh, the Chinese need the Lord. That's terrible. Or we look at some place like South America or, or, uh, you know, the Southeast Island, the islands in the South, uh, back in the South Pacific, or we look at Africa and they're bowing down to idols and we say, oh, those people need the Lord. Um, uh, or, uh, we, uh, go to a place like Japan where they worship their ancestors. In their home, they have a little shelf called the God Shelf. And, 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 and they might have pictures of their ancestors and they put food there and we think, oh, that's terrible. Those people need the Lord. But when we look at Ferndale, we don't, it doesn't look so dark. It doesn't look so sinful. And so we, we don't get stirred quite the same way. We, we can look at the poverty of Cambodia. Or, or we can look at them, uh, you know, trying to do rituals to gain things and, 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 you know, things that we would call superstition. I want to talk to you today about the darkness that is in the whole world, the need for Christ that is in the whole world, including this little block that we sit on here in Ferndale. Follow me as I read from Ephesians chapter 2. By you, and you, he's talking to a bunch of Christians, so he's kind of given their history. You, 
he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, just as the others. What we see here is a snapshot of why people need the Lord. And we see that snapshot, again, given in the light of, this is what it used to be like for you before you knew Christ. What I want you to think about today is, this is what it's like for everybody who doesn't know Christ. And the first thing that it's like is this, unsaved mankind is spiritually dead. Now, we can look all around us in our American society and see people, people doing spiritual things. You can go to Cambodia and watch uh, the Buddhists do spiritual things. And so we say, well, how can they be spiritually dead? Look at all the religious stuff they're doing. That's not what it means to be spiritually dead. The cause of spiritual death is sin. The wages of sin is death. Before Adam and Eve sinned, God created them sinless. Now, they weren't righteous because righteousness is something we get from God, but they were without sin. They were pure. They were clean. And God gave them a test. Don't eat from this tree. In the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. And when Adam and Eve sinned, they became estranged from God, and the immediate result was a fear of God and a hiding from Him. When they ate that fruit, they died spiritually. Spiritual death is the result of rebellion against God. And the scripture tells us that the sin of Adam and Eve is transmitted to all of us. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, thus death spread to all men, because all sinned. Now, he's talking about physical death, but more so he's talking about spiritual death. In God's mind, spiritual and physical death are connected together. They both originated from that one act of rebellion. I don't know exactly how it works, but I know that every single human being that's born is tainted with the sin of Adam and Eve. One of the ways that I have explained it and thought about it is this. If God put every single human being, if he created everyone without sin and put every single human being in that same perfect environment and gave every single human being the same test, every single human being would do the same thing. We would all say, oh, I want to be like God. And we would all rebel and we would all fall into sin. And so God says, one man, I gave the test through one man and he failed and this sin is passed upon all people. And so what you need to understand is we come out of the womb headed towards sin. Sin causes us to sin further and the result of all of that is spiritual death. What does it mean to be spiritually dead? Well, I, I would summarize it this way. The reality of spiritual death is blindness. Now, 
I understand that spiritual death leads to a life in hell if there is no intervention, but I want to talk about what it means to be spiritually dead in the here and now. And in them, in people who were rejecting Christ, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, Hearing, you will hear, but not understand. And seeing, you will see, but not perceive. What it means to be spiritually dead right now is that somebody can go and share the gospel and they go, What? Jesus who? I'm a sinner? I need a savior? You're one of those religious fanatics. And we, we, we who know Christ think, isn't it wonderful to have our sins forgiven? Isn't it wonderful to be able to go to a funeral service like I did on Friday for a friend who was 96 years old that I've known for many years and to hear the testimony that fellow loved God's word so much they found him dead just like this. How great is that? We think that's the greatest thing in all the world. And we think, why can't you get it? It's because they're spiritually dead. They hear, but they don't hear. They see, but they don't see. They don't understand. The nature, the reality of spiritual death is blindness. Often these days when you have surgery, if it's on an extremity... In particular, they will give you a nerve shot or give you a certain medication in your spine and it makes you, say, dead from the waist down and, and you don't feel it. And so when you wake up from surgery and people come and say, how are you doing? You go, oh, I feel pretty good. And you feel pretty good for a couple of days. And then you feel really bad. <laughs> Can I get a witness there? Any of you that have had surgery? Yeah, yeah, you know. Uh, women who are about to give childbirth who were planning on doing it naturally give me the drugs <laughs> I heard my own daughter not this one say give me some more <laughs> no you don't feel anything now that doesn't mean there's not a problem it just means you don't feel anything and that is the reality of spiritual death. Sin deadens the spiritual awareness so that people don't know what they don't know. They are unaware of their spiritual need and unable to grasp the spiritual truth that you share with them. In fact, they may think you're, you're the crazy one. And, and we shake our head and say, what's going on? Unsaved mankind is spiritually dead. That's what it means when he said, you who are Christians, you have been made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. But that's not all that's going on with unsaved mankind. Unsaved mankind is also dominated by the devil through the world. Now, uh, I hope I get a chance this week to go and share... For those of you that know, and I won't mention it because this gets put out on the, on the uh, internet, there is, a, there is a local organization that I serve with on a regular basis, 
uh, a municipal organization. And last week when I was in there, I don't know how it came up, but the term hellfire and brimstone came up. And I was talking with a Christian, and somebody from around the corner goes, What's hellfire and brimstone? And this person who was a significant executive in that organization said, those of us who didn't grow up in church don't understand about that. I got to talk about hellfire and brimstone with an unbeliever this week. Because they said, well, here's what I was preaching, and you know, I don't always preach this, but maybe I'll get to talk about being dominated by the devil this week. You know, that makes you kind of a kook, just like hellfire and brimstone does. For me to stand up here and say the world is dominated by the devil, the the unsaved people are dominated by the devil through the world, people go, you're off your nut, Lunsford. The problem is, because they're spiritually dead, they don't understand what's going on. Look at verse 2. You used to walk when you were an unbeliever. Here's how an unbeliever walks. They they walk according to the course or the path or the pattern of this world And the world is according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who is at work in the sons of disobedience. The devil here is called the prince of the power of the air. Elsewhere, he is called the prince of this world in John 12, 31. He's called the God of this age. In 2 Corinthians 4, 4, and and it's put this way in in Ephesians 6. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. As Christians, our spiritual battle is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and the rulers of the darkness of this age. Sometimes when we read that, I think we get the wrong idea. It says we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. And the truth is, if you're a believer, you will wrestle against flesh and blood. But that flesh and blood opposition comes from the rulers of the darkness of this world. This world pushes back on Christianity, and the world is being pushed by the devil. And so the world lies under the sway of the evil one. It started all the way back here. The woman said to the serpent, We can eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. And of course, she added that last part. God didn't say you can't touch it. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. What did God say? You shall surely die. For God knows, this is Satan talking, God knows that when you eat, your eyes will be opened. And you will be like God, knowing good and evil. The devil works in and through the societies of the world, and he creates ideologies that are exactly opposite to God's. I mean, here it is. It couldn't be much more blatant. He says, you will not die. God says, you will die. John MacArthur put it this way in his commentary. During this present age, Satan and his demon host dominate, pressure, control every person who is unsaved. He is the personification of rebellion against God, and so is the system he designed. 
The Apostle John put it this way, you are of your father the devil and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning. He does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources for he is a liar and the father of it. The devil is on a disinformation campaign. Now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times, that's the times in which we live, some will depart from the faith listening to deceiving spirits and the doctrines of demons. Now, for those of you that aren't in our church every week, you need to understand that I don't believe every unbeliever is possessed by a demon or by the devil himself. No, I don't believe that at all. But what I do believe is that people like to hear doctrine which is different from God's doctrine. The time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. What does the devil do? How does he get to our society? Well, he infuses ideas into people which dovetail nicely with our own sinful nature. There is a sense in which we could say the devil wouldn't have to do anything these days and we'd still live in sin. But the devil comes along and says, Oh, I know about you. I know about you. You're full of yourself. You think man is the measure of all things. You think if you can't see it, taste it, touch it, hear it, that it doesn't exist. You think humanity is the measure of all. I got you. I tell you what, mankind wasn't created by God. There was a big bang in the universe, and the stuff just blew out, and it just happened, and you're just here, and you're not responsible to any God. And when people hear that, they go, right on. Because they don't want to be responsible to any God. The whole broad concept of mankind as the measure of all things appeals to us human beings. There's no such thing as sin because there's no such thing as a God. This is really reflected in the way apologies are made today. You listen to the apologies that you hear in public and they go something like this. I'm sorry if I offended you. A guy, uh, is it Hank Williams Jr.? Are you ready for some football, Monday night party? That song will not be used on Monday night football any longer because he made a comparison with our government, something to do with Hitler and Nazism. Okay, I don't remember the exact comparison he drew. I'm sorry if I chose bad words. Did you do anything wrong? I don't think anybody asked him that. Nobody will ask him that. You know why? Because nobody wants to ever be wrong. I'm not wrong. I didn't do wrong. You, you got your feelings hurt. Well, that's just your problem, buddy. But in public, I'm going to apologize such as it is. There is no such thing as sin. There's no such thing as wrong anymore because I am the measure of all things. I get to do whatever I want. If you don't like it, well, I'm sorry you're offended. The devil inspires that. And yet, what does God say? 
What does God say about the importance of human life? You do not know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? It's a vapor. It's a vapor that appears for a little time, then it vanishes away. Another broad doctrine that Satan inspires, the doctrine of demons, is the doctrine of materialism. My life consists in the stuff I own. He who who dies with the most toys wins. Ask Stephen Jobs' wife if that's true today. Founder of Apple Computers who died this week after a long battle with pancreatic cancer. Do you think she cares that he was a multi-billionaire? Maybe she does, I don't know. Do you suppose she would exchange some of his wealth and fame for a little assurance of heaven for her husband? I don't know. Materialism. People need to praise me for how I look, for the clothes that I wear, for where I live, for what I drive. I, I, at this funeral that I was at, uh, one of the... One of the people that was there serving is an, another old friend of mine and, and a, a strong Christian, and so she was saying this tongue-in-cheek. She lives in Linden, but now she has to come to Ferndale, to the Ferndale office to work. She goes, yeah, I have to go across the tracks. <laughs> and every, t- every time I go across the tracks, I kind of think, well, this is kind of funny, you know, going over to Ferndale, you know. There are people who think that way. There are people who will pay more money to get an address in that zip code than some others. Okay? Now, the people in the rest of the world go, what's Linden? No big deal. I understand that. But there are people who are so concerned about their, their image and their appearance and what they do and where they go and who they're connected with. It's all about the stuff of life. And the devil knows that our pride is all hooked up in that. My house, my car, my contractually guaranteed job security. I even heard an ad a few years ago for the Ford Mustang, when the, 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 the rebirth of the Mustang, when they finally did the right thing again with the Mustang, and it came out. And there was an ad on the Christian radio station that said, heads will turn when you drive down the street in this car. If that's the reason you're buying a car, you're living in the blindness of sin. But that's, the devil knows that we're that way, and so he, he infuses our society, and that's why the, that's why the media advertises the way it does, or, or why business advertises the way it does, because it knows we're materialistic, and Satan encourages that. But what does God say? Those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith and their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Hedonism is the third broad area that I would call a doctrine of demons. And hedonism is the fancy word for living for pleasure. Living for pleasure. God made us to enjoy eating. God made us to enjoy sexuality. God made us to enjoy our rest at night. God made us to enjoy all kinds of 
pleasurable activities, and there's nothing wrong with those activities unless they rise to the level of my cause for living, unless they rise to the level of that's what my life is about. The old phrase that really comes from ancient Greek philosophy and and the uh, folks like the Epicureans, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. More popularly put in an old beer commercial, grab all the gusto you can because you only go around once. Clearly, the idea that this life is all you get, so have all the pleasure you possibly can. My life consists of the pleasure I enjoy. You know who that fellow is? How many know your current events? Dominic Strauss Kahn. Now how many of you know who he is? The former head of the World Bank. The former head because he could not say no to his sexual urges and he had some kind of sexual encounter with a maid at the hotel he was staying at. Now, she accused him of rape. Now the rape's been thrown out. So I, I'm not here to say he raped her. I'm just saying somehow he had some kind of sexual relationship with a woman who he was not married to. And now he's not the president of the World Bank. And he's not going to be the next president of France, as was commonly expected. All because... He bought into the values of the world and maybe even more so of his country than ours, which says, get all the pleasure you can because that's what life is about. And because he's so blind in his sin that he can't say no. We look at people like this and say, what's the matter with you? Why would you throw away a whole career for that? He's probably thinking the same thing. And yet he can't figure it out either because he's blinded in sin. We see pictures on television of all the beautiful people going here and there and having a wonderful time, appearing to have a wonderful time, and we think, well, they they got their life together. And we're just shocked when we hear the audio recordings of this man who was wealthy beyond our imagination, famous, famous at the top level of fame in the world, and yet he's so drugged up just to get to sleep. And he's saying through his slurred words, my next tour is going to be so significant. People will know I am the best entertainer in the world. And we look at that and go, what is wrong with you? You know what's wrong? The blindness of sin. It's the deadness of sin. And it comes at us through the push of the devil and the world system that just pushes unbelievers and pushes them and pushes them. And of course, it it pushes Christians as well. We're tempted to look at something like this or, or Dominic Strauss-Kahn and say, no rational, balanced person gets to such a point. But the truth is, unbelievers can't help themselves. Now, believe me, if you've been in my church long enough, you know that I believe in personal responsibility. 
And I'm not trying to say nobody's guilty. That's a different set, different story. But what God tells us clearly is, before we come to Christ, we are overcome in sin. And we need to understand that. When we look at people who don't know the Lord, we need to think, they can't help themselves. They're spiritually dead, dominated by the devil through the world, and trapped in the futility of their minds or of their thoughts. Look at Ephesians 2, verse 3, please. Among whom we all, when we were unbelievers, we conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath. Now turn over one page in your Bible to chapter 4, verse 17. Here's another summary description of what it's like to be an unbeliever. There, this I say, Ephesians 4, 17, and I testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk. Don't live your life like the Gentiles. He's talking to Christians saying, don't live like unbelievers in the futility of their mind. To be futile means there's no point, there's no product, there's no, no reality that comes out of it. It's, it's a waste what is their mind like? Verse 18. They have an understanding that is darkened because they are alienated from the life of God because there is ignorance in them because of the blindness of their heart. Healing have given themselves over to lewdness, to work all uncleanness with greediness. Satan infuses his ideas into society which presses on people to conform to sinful norms, and the result is a blinded mind. Even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded. Why do unbelievers think the way they do? Because their minds are blinded. They're spiritually dead. When our son finished eighth grade... Yeah, he was still in the public school, went to the Christian school in ninth grade. But at the end of eighth grade, they were having kind of a, an end of the year, end of eighth grade dance. You know, you're moving into high school. And he wanted to go to the dance. And so that was my opportunity to practice something I had always taught. When I was a youth pastor, I told parents, I said, your kids want to go to the dance, you go to the dance with them. And then you come home and talk about it. Go see what it's like. Okay? So our son said, hey, I want to go to the dance. We said, great, mom and I will go too. Okay, okay then. As I recall, I went for part of it and she went for part of it. I don't, I don't know if I made it or not, but I know you did. And uh, she's there, and they're playing music videos. And uh, after a while, she was talking to another parent and decided to use it for a teachable moment. And said to this other parent, uh, did, did you see what's going on on the music video there? Yeah, yeah. Does it look a little bit sexually suggestive? Yeah, yeah, kind of does. Do you think that might have an impact on the kids of encouraging them to get involved in sexual activity? <laughs> and you're going, 
What's wrong with you, lady? Whose minds the God of this age has blinded. You need to understand that the reason the stuff is going on in the world is because people think it's great. At that dance, there was active pressure by the leaders, the adults who were in charge, over the loudspeaker system, pushing the kids to dance. Now, that's a sermon for some day, and I'll preach on it one of these days. But needless to say, the majority of what passes for dancing today is the early levels of sexual arousal. And they are pushing them because of the social norm of interacting and dancing and playing sexually uh, explicit, not explicit, but suggestive videos. And then they're going, oh my, how come so many kids get pregnant before marriage? I just don't know what's going on. That's what happens. Because their minds are blinded. They really don't know why things keep going so horribly wrong. When our girls were in grade school, we were active in the PTA different times, and we went to a meeting that had to do with uh, sex education in the school. Our kids, I think the girls were probably like third, fourth grade at that time. And, and I forget the whole nature of the meeting, but they were talking about sex education, and as graciously as we could... And believe me, when I'm in public, I act gracious. <laughs> You're the one who gets the full fury that I have to deliver. Um, we're, we're pushing for abstinence. Okay, We're trying to talk sense about abstinence and so on. And, uh, you know, it wasn't, a, it wasn't a big argument or anything like that. We're just kind of advocating and so on. And, and then we had to leave early, and another couple had to leave at the same time. I think, I think they went just before us. And as we're walking out, the father, of the, the, the husband of these, this couple, just kind of let loose on us for our ignorance for talking about abstinence because, you know, human beings can't control sexuality and obviously you have to teach people how to have safe sex and so on. And, and I just thought, dude, what is wrong with you? You know what's wrong with them? His mind has been blinded. And if you're listening to some of the examples I've given from the world and saying, well, I don't think that's so bad, Pastor Dave. Your mind is blinded too. Television show just got canceled after four episodes. The Playboy Club. Now, Playboy magazine is a sexually explicit pornographic magazine. Been around since the 60s. In the summer, they're promoting this show, Playboy Club, you know. And, and, you know, if you don't know what the Playboy Club was, there aren't any of them existing anymore. It's women very scantily dressed, serving drinks to men, and, you know, whatever else went on at a nightclub and, and so on, and the whole society that that went with. And after four episodes, people rose up and said, that's denigrating to women, Okay, that's making women into sex objects. Yeah, absolutely, that's no good. But nobody, nobody said promiscuous sex is wrong. 
Nobody said sex outside of marriage is wrong. And that, that whole culture that started in the 60s encourages promiscuous sex. Because if you started, if you said that, they'd say, what's wrong with you? People have sex, they try it out, they live together, they figure out if they're compatible. Blinded. Blinded. Todd and I haven't talked about this, but I'm pretty certain he hasn't slept with his fiance. <laughs> Consider this your warning. How can you possibly get married without knowing if you're compatible? What an idiot you are. That's the way the world thinks. And we've gotten so turned upside down on this that we're saying, hey, you know what matters is, is, is all of this upside down stuff. When what matters is both of these people have said, I'm going to live for the Lord. Are you, are you going to live for the Lord? That's what he said in Sunday school. Uh, here's a girl who loves Jesus. I should talk to her. That is the qualification, you know, for marriage. But the world's turned that straight upside down. And so, there is a way which seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. The world has all kinds of self-help strategies. I, I was in uh, getting my car serviced and the TV was tuned to Dr. Phil and... <laughs> Dr. Phil is just like the Chinese lady on the train. When I was in China riding a train by myself for 10 hours, I'm sitting, there's, I'm on the window Thankfully, I got there first so I could get the window. Two other people here, three people there were facing each other for 10 hours. And there was a grandmotherly woman over here who was trying to talk to me in Chinese. And so she used the universal method that works when people don't understand a foreign language. She talked kind of loud in Chinese. That's what Dr. Phil does. Dr. Phil talks real loud and he uses a lot of strong arguments. But it won't change anybody's life. Because the only, the only solution to spiritual death is spiritual new birth. People need to be made alive. They, they don't need to be Encouraged, they need to be resurrected. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Back toward the middle of your Bible a little bit. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Jesus summarized the need of mankind here. The thief does not come to, and he's talking about the devil there. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and destroy. I have come that they might have life. And have it more abundantly. Jesus was not talking to dead people. He was talking to alive people. But he said, I have come to give you life. Spiritual life in place of spiritual death. And not just spiritual life like, oh, someday you get to go to heaven. But abundant life, growing life, a blessed life now. 
When Nicodemus, the religious man, came to him, he, the first thing out of Jesus' mouth was, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And here in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. That's what's needed. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And here's where I hope this will come home to you today. Look at verse 18. Now, all things are of God, who has reconciled us. If you're already a Christian, that us is you. He has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. And if you are one of those Christians who has been reconciled to God, he has given to us... The ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the ministry of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Would you look at the front of your bulletin? Would, would you help me a minute, bud? Come here. Come here. Would you look at the front of your bulletin? Give me your hand. Does the, stand right there. Does the front of your bulletin look like this? Is there a picture like that? What do you think that's picturing? It's picturing me reconciling him to God. Thank you. That's what God has given us to do. Now, I know we've already talked about it and prayed about it. I know that only God can save people. I know that only, only Christ's death on the cross can wash away their sins. I know that only God can open eyes and cause people to see. But I also know that God has said, Todd... You go to Cambodia and get some of those people by the hand and, and bring them together with me. Now, we can't, we can't finish that work, but we can start it. We can share the gospel truth, and the Scripture says we can... We can the, the, he likens the gospel to a seed that's put in the ground. I, I just planted my front lawn a couple of weeks ago. And until the rains came, I was out there watering. Because if there's no water, there'd be no growth. And the God, God says that we not only scatter the seed, but we water it. Do you know how you water the gospel seed? You water it by witness. We often use the word witnessing to refer to giving out the seed. But real witnessing is when I just talk to people about the Lord. When I go in that office and say, let me tell you what hellfire brimstone is. And here's what I preached last Sunday. Now, I didn't tell that person they were going to hell. I'm not quite there yet in my relationship with that person. But there's a clear inference. I made it clear that there is a heaven and there is a hell and God speaks of hell. You hear what I'm saying? You get those opportunities too. You scatter the seed and then you water the seed. You water the seed. Boy, I wish I could remember who it was. Now, somebody told me this week, 
about expressing how God had worked something out in their life. When you do that to people who don't know the Lord, they may look, they may go, hmm, that's nice. But inside they're going, what in the world? Because they are blind. But God will use that water to open up their eyes. We have to scatter the seed. We have to water the seed. We are the ones who God has given the ministry of reconciliation. We're going to have this party on October 31st, and everybody involved in it works really hard to say it's not a Halloween party. (laughs) Halloween is wicked, parking lot party righteous. And and that's true. We're not going to celebrate All Saints Eve and the wickedness that's associated with that. But you know why we're doing this? And it's really succeeded beyond our expectation. Because the unbelievers think we're doing them a huge favor, providing a safe place for their kids. That's us getting a hold of them. And while they're here getting their thousand pounds of candy god help us we considered publicizing all the greenness of our new auditorium but now with the candy we're just out to lunch again you know um that's us getting a hold of them and while they're here raul and the worship team will be singing worship music and we'll be handing them a brochure that says hey here's something about our church and we're going to give them an opportunity to sign up on an email list where we can send them invitations and And we're going to be praying, aren't we? Shake your head yes, even if you don't mean it. (laughs) Because they are so blinded, they're not going to walk in here. We've got to get a hold of their hand somehow, some way. And we've got to spread the seed, and we've got to water the seed, and we've got to pray about the seed, and and we've got to do the ministry And you know, maybe someday some of you have to go to Cambodia or Mongolia or wherever the Lord might call you. Someday, maybe that's what God's going to do too. One of our homes over in Everson was on the edge of a farm field with some woods on the backside and we kept our dog, if if this was my bedroom window, we kept our dog tied out over there by by the wall. He had a leash and a doghouse and that's where he went at night. And he was kind of a barky dog. We didn't enjoy him that much. <laughs> I think he wanted to be in bed with us. I think that was the problem. But his name was Eddie. And one night, in the middle of the night, the dog's barking and barking. And I, and I opened up the window and I stuck my head out and I went, Eddie, be quiet! And Eddie just barking, barking, barking. And then I kind of rubbed my eyes and I looked. I thought, I see something out there. So I went and got my glasses on. And then I saw the, the wild beast, forgive my nomenclature, a coyote or something, who was looking at Eddie thinking, dinner. <laughs> I couldn't tell what I was looking at till I got the glasses on. I just kind of saw the blur. I hope you get your glasses on today and really see the world like it is and understand that they are dying and they're blind and they need our help. Heavenly Father, Help us, help us, help us see what you see, hear what you hear, understand what you understand, 
do what you want us to do. I pray in Christ's name. Amen.